Hi there, I'm Sheena and this is the Lesbian Review Podcast. This podcast is a spin-off of the popular review site thelesbianreview.com, where we review the best books, movies and music with leading lesbian, bi or queer women. The goal of this podcast is to bring you closer to the best queer media and give you access to interviews with people who are behind the scenes in creating it. Today I'm very happy to have Tara on. Tara and I are going to talk about our six must-read books for 2018. Tara, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So it was our five must-reads, and then I, I couldn't decide, and you couldn't decide, and so now it's our six must-reads. This is how it goes with us. <laughs> plus one. Isn't it plus one? We have one shared must-read. Um, oh, you're right. We do. Don't oh, we? So, so it's... <gasps> do we? Yeah, we do, we do. We don't? So that's our seven. Seven must-read books. Six plus one. I'm not so good at math, apparently. Okay. So our seven must-read books for 2018... So our very first one, Tara, you and I were talking about it and we both decided this was our absolutely best book of the year. Mm-hmm. And it is The Goodmans by Claire Ashton. This is a book that has a lot going on. There's romance, there's a mother-daughter relationship, there's the end of a marriage, there's politics and small town issues. And... We're not going to go into all of it, except to say that it all just, it weaves together really well. It makes for a really interesting read. So I am going to read from your synopsis because you wrote the synopsis of this in our joint review. Um, meet Abby Hart, which is an appropriate name because she's the heart of the first half of the book. She's a doctor in the small town of Ludbury and has been friends with Jude Goodman since they studied together at university. They're extremely close, and for Abby, the feelings run even deeper than that because she's in love with Jude. Jude, on the other hand, is in a long-term relationship with her boyfriend, whose name Sheena couldn't remember and didn't bother to put down because she didn't like him. Oh, uh, but I noted, this is great. <laughs> I I noted that it's Bill. I didn't like him either, and um, I hated his guts. So what happens... What happens when Jude discovers that Abby's in love with her? Is it possible for her to fall in love with her best friend even though she's never had any inclinations towards women? And then if you step this way, we'd like to introduce you to Maggie Goodman. She is like a whirlwind of passion as she sweeps through her life. It's an exciting time for the Goodmans because Eli, Jude's younger brother, is bringing his girlfriend to visit and the family will be back together again. But Maggie is dreading telling her kids that she and her husband are in the process of getting a divorce. It's not that she wants to keep him close, he's just really been more like a friend in her life. That, however, becomes the least of Maggie's problems when her past blows into town and turns everything upside down. And because Ashton is an evil genius, you would never know what's around the corner. Did I write that? That's very good. Well done, me. I like that synopsis. (laughs) This book fucking knocked me over just wrecked me when I read it and I can't even talk about any of my favorite stuff or the best parts because it's just going to ruin it but it actually like as I was there's this one scene in particular that as I was reading I could feel my guts twisting and when and it made me like go back and read over previous scenes and I read them totally differently when I understood that thing it's just it's so good it's so good it's so well written it's so beautifully written the characters are so compelling like this is my book of the year for sure absolutely 
Ashton did some interesting stuff with the character work in this, especially with the character of Maggie, because she had Maggie do some unforgivable things to Abby, and Abby forgave her mm -hmm. time and again. And then when it comes out why she did these things, you just you feel so conflicted because you can see kind of where it's coming from, but you're also like, this is so wrong. This is even worse than what we thought. Yeah, I... You read this before I did, and you were all like, oh, Maggie, Maggie, it's all about Maggie. She's amazing. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, what? I don't think I like her. She is too much. And then the more you get into it and the more you get into her story, even as you're getting this, like, really lovely, almost, almost light romance between Jude and Abby, and then there's just this, like... And and then and then and then the twist, and then it's just like a sucker punch, and it's like, oh, I'm in a different book than I thought I was. But oh, wow, what a book this is! Absolutely, and Ashton has the way of doing exactly that to you. I mean, it, it, if you look at her books, just about every single one of them that she's written has this moment in the book where you look at it and you're like, ooh, this is not what I thought. Mm -hmm. There's something else going on here, because even in Poppy Jenkins which is a, a much lighter, much more kind of less twisty novel than she usually writes. Even that, there was a moment when I was like, oh, I did not realize that something else was going on in the background. Yes. Let's not go down the poppy rabbit hole because I can talk about Poppy Jenkins for two hours. <laughs> we could probably talk about the Goodmans for two hours too. That's true. But Ashton is an evil genius and you should absolutely buy this book. So... I'm going to jump in here, and my very first pick is My Lady Lipstick by Karen Callmaker, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. It's published by Bella Books, and unfortunately there is no audio available for this book. I'm just going to read the synopsis. Anita Topaz, queen of the bodice rippers, is deliberately a woman of mystery, but pressure is mounting for Anita to reveal herself to her clamoring public. It's scrutiny that writer Paris Illison can't allow, especially since the glamorous Anita is a work of pure fiction. Lady Diana Beckinsale excels at disappearing into a good role, especially if that role gets her close to certain objects she desires. When Diana proposes the perfect solution to Paris's predicament, Paris is less than enthusiastic. She can't let someone as unsettling and observant as Diana get too close. But Diana is persistent. After all, if she and the handsome secrets of Paris both get what they want out of the unorthodox arrangement, then it's a win-win for them both. My Lady Lipstick is high stakes on a merry-go-round of lies. It's all fun and games until someone loses her heart. And that's a pretty apt description of, of this book. It's such a fun book. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I found reading that one is that it's a great romance. And it deals with some quite serious issues. Mm. And I felt like it was particularly timely in light of the Me Too conversation. There was, there was a thread there that, that comments on that. And even despite all that, it's still very light, very fun, kind of madcap, and has this, like, there's just something so beautiful about the way Diana wholly appreciates all of Paris's butchness. I don't feel like it's fair to say that we never see anything quite like that because we do see a lot of butch women in our fiction but but there's something very special about her specific appreciation of it that's lovely 
Cool Maker wrote a complex butch. And very often I find in Lesvik we get very simple butchers. So the butch woman tends to be very like surfacey kind of characters, very one track almost. And it's great to have the representation, but in this I felt like she had a real human, a dynamic person. I mean, her name is Paris and she bakes furiously and she cooks and it's like Oh yeah, her stress baking? Yes. And she doesn't even she doesn't even eat all of it. I love that so much. Like how she has that that arrangement with a bar to drop it off because she can't eat all of it, but she has to do it because that's her anxiety management. Right. And I love so, her. but then she'll also get dressed up in a in a tailored suit, you know, with sh- shine shoes, and she makes the perfect butch. And I love that it wasn't the typical butch femme dynamic. I love that there was just so much more to it. Yes. Well, and it also has the toaster oven thing going on. Absolutely. And big bonus for fans of Coolmaker, it's got a character from Warming Trend owns the bar. So very small cameo, but fun nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. All right. What is your next one? So this is my next best book of the year. It's called The Music in the Mirror by Lola Keeley. And... I just adored this book. So I'm going to read out the synopsis that April wrote for her review on the Lesbian Review, which I think is pretty great. Being the new girl at the ballet company of her dreams is so much more than Anna could ever have hoped for, and she's bursting with excitement. First impressions are supposed to be the best impressions, but Anna makes a random mishap and almost blows her career in the chance to impress her childhood idol, Victoria Ford. Luckily for Anna, her talent, focus, and determination make her stand out from the rest of the ballerinas, and she becomes the candidate of choice for Victoria's plans for the new season. Anna just wants to dance and make new friends, but outrage over her sudden rise in status, petty jealousies, and being on guard against injuries set her apart from the rest of the company. Everything hinges on Anna's success, and she hopes that her best will be enough to prove the naysayers wrong. Will Anna and Victoria be able to navigate the murky waters of their fears, assumptions, and the opinions of others? And will they be able to dance to the beat of the passion that slowly builds between them? This, so this is one, one of the ones that actually started out as a fan fiction. It was, I believe it was a Supergirl fan fiction, but it was set in an alternate universe so that it's really just the characters that were lifted. And there's a part of me that wonders if because that's how it began, this book just doesn't play by the rules. It doesn't follow a typical romance structure because there is so much passion in this book and not all of it is between Anna and Victoria. It's not just about the relationship. They both have so much passion for ballet and it's that passion that brings them together in a way that's really beautiful. It's an incredibly slow burn. It's not an it's not an enemies to lovers, but there is kind of a certain antagonism there from the beginning because Victoria is this like she's the ultimate ice queen, and Anna just has stars in her eyes. Like she's idolized Victoria for years and years because Victoria was like the ultimate of the prima ballerinas who's not doing it anymore, and so then she shows up and her idol is such a bitch and (laughs) drives her so hard but like respect grows between them and then almost almost like a begrudging friendship and then like love grows out of that and it's just it's so beautiful 
I adore this book and I hope we're going to see a lot more from Lola Keeley. This is her first novel. I cannot believe this is her first novel, um, but I think we're going to see some pretty amazing things from her. You're right. That was a good description from April. You go, girl. Mm-hmm. All right. My next book is Daughter of the Sun by Effie Kelvin. It's published by Nine Star Press and unfortunately there's no audio available for this book. I'm going to read the synopsis. Please bear with me if I'm pronouncing the names incorrectly because this is a fantasy and I actually have no idea how to pronounce the names. <laughs> I had that problem when I was reading it. I was like, uh... I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to hope for the best. Orsina of Malidri is a paladin of the Order of the Sun, sworn to drive out corruption and chaos wherever she finds it. She has been ordered to leave her home and travel around Fisolda in search of the great evil she's supposedly destined to destroy. But after two years of fighting monsters and demons and evil gods, she does not seem to be any closer to her goal or ever returning home. Aelia is the goddess of caprice, the personification of poor decision-making. The Order of the Sun has classified her as a chaos goddess, meaning that worshipping her has been outlawed. During a run-in with Orsina, she's trapped in a mortal body rendering her unable to leave Inthia. Aelia is found by Orsina again, but this time Orsina does not recognize her in her new body. So Aelia pretends to be a mortal woman who's fleeing an abusive family. Aelia plans to use Orsina as protection as she hunts down the magical relic that will free her from her mortal body. As Aelia and Orsina grow closer to one another, Aelia wrestles with her own desire to tell Orsina the truth about who she is and her fear that Orsina will turn on her if she does. But the decision might not be hers after all, because their actions have not gone unnoticed by Alias' siblings. This is a fantasy story. It's set in the same world as Effie Kelvin's first novel, but it's not the same characters. And I, I love that, and that's generally the only time I'll read a series of books, is when it's not the same main characters. I don't tend to follow characters from one book to another. This book is absolutely charming. The character work she does, especially with Aelia, and her growth from a completely... A chaos goddess is a very accurate description of what she is. From that to something more gentle. I don't want to put spoilers in the book, but let's just say she does have an amazing character arc. And the romance is so sweet. Yeah, it's super lovely. And the world building is actually fantastic too. I mean, I just completely got immersed in this book. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was adorable. Um, and it didn't matter that I hadn't read the first book, which I really appreciated. Like it literally, it didn't matter at all. It was super easy to get into. I loved Alia's character arc too. But I mean, I also just loved how stoic and lovely and wonderful Orsina is too. I love her. I just wanted to hug her for so much of it. And then I wanted to punch that other person in the face. I'm not going to tell you guys why, but you're going to want to punch that person too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you're listening to The Lesbian Talk Show. TheLesbianTalkShow.com, your hub of podcast information. My next book is the book that made me happiest this year. So I'm uh I I'm not going with my like one, two, three. I, I wanted to pick a couple of books that, that stood out for me for different reasons. And this one truly like when I read it, it just made me 
so happy. In, in my review, I said reading it is like eating an amazing cupcake because it's super sweet and fills you up, but you know, like with feelings and not with cake. So this book is called Marriage of Unconvenience by Chelsea M. Cameron. I believe it is available in audio. I haven't listened to it, so I guess go listen to the sample if that's your thing and, and check it out and get that if you want. So Lauren Lowe Bowman has lost her job and now she's in a panic. She was already living pretty lean, so she won't be able to afford rent if she doesn't find something soon. Lowe has a sizable inheritance that's been waiting for her since childhood, but she can't touch it unless she gets married. When Lowe goes for brunch with her best friend Kara Sims, she's surprised to see Kara break down. Carol was poised to pursue her dream of being a physician's assistant, but financial aid for grad school leaves her 20 grand short. Lowe jokes that they should get married for that sweet inheritance money, and that's when it hits her. They should totally get fake married. Because who better to share her inheritance with than the one person who makes her the happiest? Which should be a quick and easy transaction soon gets complicated with things like rings, dresses, and oh yeah, a whole bunch of feelings. But can Lowe really be falling for her straight best friend? This book is adorable. It is so, so, so cute. And here's the thing, like, I love romances. I love angsty romances, obviously, because I just recommended two super angsty romances in this very podcast. I like the ones that made me feel like I've been punched in the gut. Again, the Goodmans, hello. But... I also love super sweet romances that leave me feel like somebody gave me like a nice fuzzy blanket and a kiss on the head and like a cup of warm cocoa and everything is good. And this is exactly one of those. And one of the things that I have, uh, that I love about this is something that Cameron wrote in her acknowledgments. And I'm going to read this because I actually think this is why books like this are so powerful. She said, in this time of turmoil and terror, writing fluff feels like an act of resistance. I want to give you a place where you can relax and enjoy yourself for a little while, a world where everything turns out okay in the end and there's lots of flirting and kissing. And that is exactly what this book is. If you are having a bad day, if you cannot handle the media, if your Facebook is blowing up with yet another horrible human rights thing and whatever, and you just need some self-care time, this book is like pure self-care. You're going to love these characters. You're going to love watching them fall in love. It's so freaking cute. I highly recommend it. Okay. That's on my to-read list now. Yay. It's a terrible thing. Tara, you converter. <laughs> yeah. You say this like I haven't already read the first two of your picks because you told me I should read them. Because I pretty much shoved them your way and said, please read these. Make them a priority. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That was the thing that happened. <laughs> All right, my last pick, and it's by no means my least pick because this book is amazing, is The Way You Smile by Kiki Archer. Unfortunately, there is no audiobook available for it, but who knows what the future holds. The synopsis. Real life doesn't play out like a movie. Electric connections mostly mean you've got static in your jumper. Camilla Moore knows that. She's not daft. She has two teenage boys and bills to pay. Plus, the only man she's ever been with has traded her in for a gym bunny. Returning to work's the answer, but when she finds herself in the wrong room, wrong place, at the wrong time, the last thing she expects is to be promoted out of obscurity into the arms of Harriet Imogen Pearson, media darling, hotshot entrepreneur, and notorious lesbian playgirl. Camilla can't believe it. She's an ordinary woman, nothing special. 
So what's Harriet's motivation? What's her endgame? Are Camilla's feelings just infatuation or is it real love? And that's a pretty accurate description of this book. Except you will laugh a lot. And there are moments which are so awkward that you'll just want to hide under something because you're cringing so for the character. <laughs> it's a typical Kiki Archer book in that way. And you know what I find most fun about Kiki Archer books, apart from the awesomeness of everything, is that so many of these weird, cringeworthy, amusing incidents she takes from real life. Did you know that? I didn't. That's pretty great, though. Okay, so let's finish off your last one. So... My last one is The Sex Therapist Next Door by Megan O'Brien, which is available in audio. I haven't listened to that either, but I have to say you may not want to listen or read to this book in public if the title is not any kind of an indication for you. And author. Right? Oh my god. So my synopsis is, Diana Kelly has a big problem. In a few short hours, she'll have a classroom full of women expecting a live, hands-on sex education class. And her best friend and teaching partner, Ava, has just called to say she's fractured her spine. Needless to say, Ava won't be participating for a while, and what's a sex therapist to do in the meantime? Jude Monaco has had a massive crush on the older woman next door for more than a year, and she can't believe her luck when Diana has a proposal for her. Get paid to have sex with a woman who's fueled many of her fantasies? Oh yes, please. So they set the terms. $500 a session, sex only in the classroom, and they're only ever neighbors when they're not in class. Diana has zero interest in a romantic relationship after the train wreck that was her last relationship. And Jude is just happy to take what she can get with the woman of her dreams, even if she knows it might lead to heartbreak. But the class is about intimacy as much as it's about sex, so can they really keep things strictly professional? Who? Okay, so the thing is, I'm not just recommending this book because it's a Megan O'Brien book and it's super hot. Because it is super hot and it's a Megan O'Brien book, so of course it's super hot. I'm recommending this one because I actually think it is one of the best, if not the best, erotic romances available out there in our sector. She wrote a masterclass in how to do erotic romance. It is exactly the way erotic romance should be written. There is a lot of sex in this book, no surprise, but every single instance is necessary because it fuels the story, it fuels character growth, or it fuels relationship development. So that means that sometimes we actually join Diana and Jude partway into an encounter. We're not there, we're not always there for the beginning of when the sex starts, and we're not always there for the end. It is there like, we're there for exactly as much as is needed. And I think that's really refreshing. It works so well because this is so much more than porn. Like, it really is a romance. And I mean, porn has its place and it has totally different purpose and goals. But this is a true romance where the sex is doing something important all the time. And I also think she's always done great work in showing what enthusiastic consent can and should look like. And I feel like she's just like stepped that way up with how she has the characters exploring boundaries and talking about boundaries and what that means either in bed or in their case in the classroom, but also outside so that it does include things like, well, we do this here. We don't do this here. This is who we are as people and showing that, um, when we think about boundaries, it's much more fluid than, than just, 
um, a sexual thing. And I think that's really powerful and that's going to be really instructive and helpful for a lot of people to see that modeled in a way that I don't think I've ever quite seen it modeled anywhere else. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. That is seven amazing books that you should get right now because you probably got a whole bunch of vouchers, Christmas gifts, whatever it is, just burning a hole in your pocket. These are the seven we think you should spend the bucks on. Yeah, we do. Links are in the show notes as well as synopsis, titles, and all the other information that you're going to possibly need to get the exact book that we spoke about today. Tara, thank you so much for joining me. As always, you are a darling. Thank you. And that's all for this week. Bye. Bye. This has been the Lesbian Review Podcast. You can find this and other awesome shows by searching for the Lesbian Talk Show anywhere you get your podcasts. We're even on Spotify now. Find more information on our guest in the show notes, as well as links to what we spoke about on this episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to see us creating more awesome content, then consider becoming a patron. Not only does this mean we can keep on doing this, but you will get exclusive podcasts that do not appear on the channel. You can find out all about it on patreon.com slash the lesbian talk show. The link is in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Bye. That's my soapbox. I hope you... No, wrong. I shouldn't have said soapbox. I should have said, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Say that now and then you can... We can I'll edit it in. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.